Clay, I think our podcast would be more successful if we just took our shirts off for the rest of the show. Mm. Would you agree with me? That It won't work for the audio-only listeners, but maybe this joke actually works better for the audio-only listeners, and it's going to fall flat for the YouTube people. But I suggest we take our shirts off, we play some Desert High Lie, and mm-hmm. uh, we get a little bit of blood. A little bit of blood, a little bit of dirt, and then we just walk for 45 minutes after that, and I think we'll call it a day. Well, I think everything can be improved by a nice uh, Top Gun shirtless sports sequence. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Very unse- as unsexy as Star Trek can do, shirtless men running around. Although um, I like I like Bagula and uh, Connor Trenier in this because they're, they're probably like peak male fitness that you can get without supplementation of some sort of like drug variety. Like sure. they're a very like natural fit in this. And it always, it always makes me laugh about how um, actors just kind of have to do that. Like you just have to kind of be in shape, you know, because the, mm. you never know when, when uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and Andre Bormanis are going to come along with a script that has you shirtless for the first half of it. And you're going to respond. I was actually wondering that I was like, I hear all these stories about how, you know, Chris Pratt had to train for six months to shoot one shirtless scene that lasts like 45 seconds. Um, do, do they know going into this? Like did, did Bacula have to be like, okay, in 15 weeks, I'm going to have to go shirtless for 10 minutes. So I should probably start doing some push-ups. <laughs> he probably picked it or up. Or is that just how he looks all the time? It, it's, I would assume he's uh he's, I would assume the life of an actor involves that kind of stuff where you got to sort of stay, mm-hmm. unless you're a character act, actor like that, Ethan Supley, although even he got ripped over the past couple of years. He's yeah. no longer just the, uh, the fact Patton. Guy. Patton Oswalt has a, has a great story about meeting Brian Dennehy at a, uh, a, a party, like a, uh, not a rap party, but just like an industry party. Yep. And he was, he was standing there. <clears throat> Patton Oswalt was standing there watching all this, all of these fit people not eat any of this amazing spread of food while he very sheepishly, sheepishly went over and started eating it. And then Brian Dennehy sidled up to him, looked him in the eye and was like, eh, character actors, we can eat whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that was an accurate approximation of a story much better told by him <laughs> it's true it's true you, you can eat whatever you want if you're not uh, expected to be the captain of the starship so we're going to take a break we'll play a clip from the episode and then we'll come back and we'll break down desert crossing well thanks for one hell of a game you must have other people that can correct this problem i wish we did as i said captain i am easily offended We'll come back if there's time, I promise. You should not believe the Tarothans. I have just been informed that we picked up a lengthy transmission between your vessel and Chancellor Trellin. Whatever he told you, science officer, it is not true. I wanted this to wait till later, but I beg you, let me explain the real reason why I asked you here. You have a reputation for being fair, a, a man of great integrity. When you hear what I have to say, I am certain you will want to help us. All right, everybody. So, Desert Crossing is the 24th episode of the first season. It aired on May 8th, 2002. It is the second of the three episodes that make up the Journey to Riza arc. The teleplay goes to Andre Bermanis, and the story credit goes to Rick Berman, Brennan Braga, and Andre Bermanis. Directed by David Strayton. In-universe date, as Archer says at the top, is February 12th, 2152. In this episode, Archer and Tucker are invited to a desert-like planet by an alien leader after they help fix his ship. After arriving, they discover he has invited them under false pretenses. 
I would disagree that it's desert-like. It seems to be a desert. I don't think there's <laughs> it's any... It's pretty clearly a desert, <laughs> yes. Uh, so outside of that, I think Memory Alpha did a pretty good job summing up what this episode is about. But why don't it's you... Not, it's not like, it's not like a, a normal planet with desert elements. It's <laughs> explicitly a desert. It's just got the uh, Egyptian god people with the animal heads and the human bodies walking around. And it's like, this is desert-like. No, it seems, seems mm. to me to be pretty desert-like. Uh, so I guess we'll stick with that. Or it, it is a desert. What do you think of Desert Crossing? Um, well, I was I was hoping it was going to be terrible because I really wanted to say in the ratings section that uh, this can be only one mm-hmm. because of uh, my boy Clancy Brown yep. showing up. Who is I? I feel like I don't know if maybe his his entire his whole performance on the day was like too big and too loud and too booming because I think all of his dialogue is ADR. It looks kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe, or maybe he had laryngitis, and they were like, "No, we hired you because we want the Clancy Brown voice." Um, is Shawshank him? Is it, Shawshank really sticks out with um, <clears throat> what I guess is like an aberration in the Clancy Brown acting performance uh, thing, where he's he's generally very big and like very very over mm. the top, and he certainly is the case here. But he's 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 the warden, or not the warden? He's the uh, the ple- the main guard in Shawshank, but it's a much more reserved uh, performance in that i think here here he, well i was let's loose i was hoping i was hoping that uh uh archer was gonna say it was uh october 31st and then while they're walking down he pokes his head his pokes his head in on to paul and hoshi putting up decorations and he just goes happy halloween ladies <laughs> um i i like this to about the halfway point yeah um because I don't know if I missed something, but I can't for the life of me figure out why they start walking in out into the desert. Because they want to survive the bombing. They're, they're more likely to survive out in the desert than they are staying in that little cave where Clancy Brown had put them being bombed right. to death. Yeah. But then they get out and they go to their shuttle, shuttle and they get their guns and then they leave the shuttle. Yep. They don't have any... Expo- well... Clancy Brown, I guess this is what they're saying. Clancy Brown says that we can't fly the shuttles because they're too easy of a target. So Archer sure. Trip can't just take off at that point, and they decide to go on a suicide mission towards the city of the people who are attacking them in the first place. So they're sort of running towards the enemy base when they probably would face the same fate if they just got on the shuttlecraft and tried to fly away at that point. But Yeah, or just get on the shuttlecraft, hang out on the shuttlecraft till the bombing starts, stops and then fly away sure it's clearly the bombing stopped after a certain point and the shuttle was parked far enough outside the city where it really didn't seem like they were in danger of getting blown up if they right. had just slept inside the shuttlecraft yeah don't turn um, the engines on yeah and it's like i can i can hand wave that stuff uh because it's like well you got to have a story they got to do something sure i can hand wave that stuff if the stuff they do after that has any real merit but it doesn't it's just another instance of them doing a story where characters are isolated and alone and it serves no other purpose than for them to be isolated and alone Um, and watching them deteriorate as though you think either one of them is going to die in the desert in the next 20 minutes Enterprise it did did have a little bit this episode did have a little bit of a Rambo 3 feel where it's like they get down there and they help these people out and then they dedicate their mission to the brave fighters of, of the Mujahideen. 
Yeah. You know, (laughs) if anybody doesn't know, that's the thing about Rambo three is Rambo goes and he helps out like Al Qaeda. Yeah. (laughs) Because they they were still enemies of the Russians at that point. Yeah. 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 In retrospect, not a great look, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a weird episode. It doesn't feel like it's doing anything particularly interesting. Uh, the way that they find them at the end is a matter of Clancy Brown essentially directing them through a level of Donkey Kong yep. of sorts, yep. uh, which you don't even watch them do. Um, I don't know. I, I, love, I love all those shots of Clancy Brown to Paul and Malcolm flying around in the shuttle. It's just one straight ahead shot of them, right? It's just the three mm. of them sitting there. And if you just if you just pay, it's so boring that you can just like focus on Clancy Brown, who's doing his best to. So, well, I assume what his performance is is him trying his best to sort of save this script, where he mm. there's really nothing about this character or anything interesting, and there's nothing about those shuttle scenes that's interesting, but. If you watch him in the back, he's just like eyes wide when Tabal says things and just sort of looking around. And I think the problem with Enterprise, really, or one of the problems with Enterprise, and particularly in episodes like this, is that the show seems almost incapable of giving you any kind of subtext to something. Like mm. the the desert walking scene with Archer and Trip as is as you're saying totally fine if they have something to talk about that entire time they don't have anything to talk about and what's even more surprising about the fact that they don't just give them something to talk about you sit there going as they're walking around doing this stuff which none of it really is very important or none of it really means anything and all of it is just kind of like it's it's almost like a a great horrible improv scene where there's no jokes (laughs) but it's just people are like all right man when we get home, are we going to have dinner? What's your favorite thing to eat for dinner? And he's like, I like mashed potatoes. You're like, oh, yeah, we're going to have some mashed potatoes. It's not like it's a bad back and forth, but there's just nothing to it. And the thing that really got me thinking is that Trip and Archer are set up as old friends with each other. Like th- their mm-hmm. backstory is that they know each other and that they're best of friends. Yeah. They don't talk about they anything. Did. They don't talk about any kind of friendship right. thing. Like you'd, And it also just got me thinking that because I do like what they do for serialized stuff here, where Archer's thing about freeing the Suliban is now being brought up and thrown in his face. I don't think they do yeah, much I like with that. it. But I was thinking, if you were to redo season one of Enterprise, I could almost see the the Suliban prison break happening very early, and then Archer and the Enterprise dealing with the fallout of that decision for the rest of the season. And mm-hmm. here, it would feel like this is a prime moment for Trip and Archer to come to blows basically about this where trip is like motherfucker like you did this to all like your decision caused this to happen and then they have their fist fight in the deserts and then by the end of it they've kind of like reached an agreement or something that just that felt like what was missing here where archer needs to deal archer's penance for his decision early on is not this whole thing but it's this like march through the desert really that's like his his punishment for it mm-hmm. and if trip had anything to say to him about it maybe this is actually a very good ending season one enterprise episode if that was the entire arc the whole way through the first season yeah yeah like they even kind of set up this idea that uh archer has a tendency to talk trip into doing stuff maybe he doesn't want to do um and they don't do that at all they don't get into that it's just trip and it's it even if they don't have a conversation about anything pertinent um archer doesn't even like feel bad you know, he he yeah. doesn't spend the time uh, reflecting on the choice he's made. 
that has put them in this situation. To be fair, though, like the choice that he made in this one, not really his fault um, as much as it has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, I actually even thought there's the point where T'Pol radios down to him and is like, yeah, these guys might be terrorists. You probably don't want to get involved with this. Well, you should probably come back to the ship. I 100% thought he was going to go, I don't know. I got a feeling about this guy. <laughs> I think we're going to stick around for a bit. And then, it, you know, which is what he usually does. Yeah. It makes He makes the wrong decision and he doesn't seem to. In this case, he actually does try to leave. And it's all a fairly, um, I guess the word is innocent misunderstanding. As innocent as you can be when getting well, he was used up in a Arch, Arch has been used in this oh absolutely one. Yeah, yes. yeah he's been he's been um, deceived into attempting to help these people but yeah there's no there, there's no moment where you've got you've got archer and trip literally wandering in the desert you know instead of meta there's there's no uh it's it's pretty it's a pretty bold metaphor if you want to go for it um and at no point, given the situation he's in, because of his actions, even though in this case it's it's not something that he actively did uh, uh, to give people the wrong uh, impression, the stuff he has been doing is now coming home to roost to, to a certain extent. Yep. His his uh, uh, people are, are learning about him and, and the stuff that he has done. At no point does he reflect on any of that while wandering through the desert while his friend is dying and saying, maybe we're going about this the wrong way. I don't know how to, you know... Any, Anything. He doesn't do anything of that. There's no character stuff at all in the desert. It's just watch these guys do do uh, thirsty acting. Yeah. And not the kind of thirsty acting <laughs> Kyle wants. No, no. That was in the shirtless scene. <laughs> no, it's the, uh, the just the generic version of thirst that we've got going on. Trip? I, I don't know. Did they like, did, was, was the guy who played Trip, was his real that he sent in just him doing like different extreme situations where he's like, all right, now this is me when I'm drunk. But now this is me in the desert. Huh? I need water. Like, cause I feel like he's the one who always ends up getting these, these parts of, yeah. of having this extreme, uh, acting that he, I don't know this if he thinks he's really pregnant. good at it or what, yeah. but He's got like that head sh- that that headshot thing where it's four different pictures of him mm-hmm. in different costumes, but in this one it's just him in different states of uh, uh, overexertion or drunkenness. <laughs> this is me eating. I can play soup. drunk. I can play drunk. I can play parched. I can play cold. Whatever you need. Whatever you need, guys. I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah, I. I was the best cold actor in my class at Juilliard. Okay. <laughs> Who need? I got a blanket on me. They're not going to believe that there's a blanket on me. It's impossible. The uh, it's it's one of those it's one of those things about Enterprise just seems incredibly resistant to have its episodes be about something. Really, like mm. it's it's really weird. It's it? really weird. Like you you think that maybe you just would miss it or something, but it's a consistent thread through all of the episodes that they're just not about anything. And this one here, I think that, and, and it's not, it's not that they're not about anything and that they don't lay the groundwork because they lay the groundwork for what the episodes should be about, but none of the characters really have anything to say about what it is. Like Clancy Brown's character here is set up as apparently you're, sp- I, I think this character is supposed to be more morally ambiguous than he ends up being. He, he ends up being, mm okay by the end of it and 
even the memory alpha at the end is something like it says something about like you can never tell if he's a it's like who's to say if he's a terrorist or not it's like well he he seems to be a terrorist he admits that he goes in and like blows up this uh you know the city people as a response to like a political goal so he's clearly a terrorist in the same that akira Mm -hmm. is a terrorist but archer's decision the suliban thing leading into him meeting clancy brown doesn't give him a deeper moral conundrum that's different than the Suliban, really, where they kind of mention that in this, like, well, the, the Suliban were all innocent prisoners. I think that at least they've convinced themselves that all the Suliban in that in Guantanamo Bay were innocent prisoners and it was okay to let them right, go. Right. But here, I think you need more from Clancy Brown showing some sort of evilness to what he's doing, where Archer is more enlightened to the fact of like this is the downside of this kind of thing because mm-hmm. his downside here is just he's like I don't really want to I don't really want to help you I'm going on vacation I don't have time for this you know it, right. it, it, does, it doesn't right. it doesn't amount to anything yeah and I you know I said I actually gave him credit for not saying at the at the top mm, this guy I got a feeling about this guy he says that at the end of the episode yeah uh, after they bring him back onto the onto Enterprise I didn't say the um it, to Paul says yeah maybe you shouldn't get involved in this 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 war and he's like i don't know i got a feeling this guy's on the level so ultimately <laughs> he does say that based on no evidence yeah right again like, it, he's he's learned nothing new about him other than the fact that he helped save archer which is like the least he could do yep um yeah i you know it's i i think this is another one given i wonder if the time in which this came out it seemed a little bit more thoughtful because if you really wanted to go for it and pull something out of this, you could pull out this idea of uh, maybe don't get yourself involved in the civil wars of, uh, of, uh, I don't know, desert based cultures. If yeah. you want to be really specific, about this is, this is post Afghanistan. So yeah, we, we had, but by, by the time this came out and I think by the time it was written, the Afghanistan invasion had already happened and yeah it's it's a weird if that's the thing they're going for though it is it is it is kind of weird the way that they play it but it's I I think that's giving it a little too much credit because there's not there's not really anything that's supporting or uh that theme but that would that would have been radically literally saying it that like if you were at the time it was a fairly radical opinion to not want to invade Afghanistan at the time, right? Like, like Afghanistan wasn't yeah. Iraq. Afghanistan right. was like, these guys are, the Taliban are running this place in like a third world country sort of way where it's like, there's no, there's no freedom whatsoever in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They're harboring bin Laden and the rest of the Al Qaeda members that are responsible for killing the thousands of people in New York. And th- this feels strange that, if Enterprise and Star Trek are like, hey, it's not it's not cool to to invade a country. That just seems like a strange real that seems like a really powerfully controversial opinion at that point that they're floating here. But is is because they feel that way, is that the reason that the episode is so weak? Because they don't actually want to hit that point too hard? It just seems so I don't know. It's so when, confusing for uh, the era. When did this come out? This is two thousand and two. 2002 when did when did when did we invade iraq do you remember iraq would have been oh three maybe something like that yeah. let me see i can check that out what what do you think that matters 
Well, I was just I was just thinking like, well, if if that's if that is on the horizon, maybe that's in mind. But two thousand and three was Iraq. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I I I was gonna say I was gonna give it the benefit of the doubt and be like, all right, if 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 the Iraq invasion is on on the horizon, maybe it's a response to that. But still, that's even like that's thinking way ahead. It's not like South Park where they're making this over the course of a weekend, so it can be extra topical. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's um. It's 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 a strange episode that I don't think really works because it doesn't really have anything to say, and other than again, literally to Paul being like, "Well, eh, maybe we shouldn't get involved in other people's stuff sometimes." Yeah. Um, which does bring up the question: I don't know if you know this or if anybody else knows this. What are the other directives? Are there other directives? The, the, like the, the, prime the secondary directives. Yeah, I don't think they've ever mentioned them. They're not like the rules of because to Paul, to Paul mentions. Well, maybe Archer should come up with a list of directives. Yeah. So I assume that meant there was more than one. Yeah. Uh, unless was Starfleet like, okay, what's next? Well, I feel like we covered everything on that first one, so let's just <laughs> fly by the seat of our pants for the rest of it. If we just never get involved in a problem, we don't need any other rules. So just like leave it at that. Right. We'll, yeah. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Prime directive. Follow that one. You're golden. It's plausible deniability all across the board. They, they've spent so many episodes in the first season dealing with this idea that they eventually need to get a prime directive. Some of the episodes have been good. Mm-hmm. Dear Doctor was very good. Some of them have been bad. This one, I think, leans more towards the bad side than anything. But I just... It, you know, I, I think that the problem with the show is that it doesn't... It either didn't have time or there's not really interest in examining where the prime directive would come from in these cases. Right. Like I, I think if you were setting up this series and one of your main topics was we're going to explore how the prime directive came about, I feel like you should come up with three solid examples that are like, yeah, that is a moral conundrum. I can understand why mm-hmm. you would come up with this sort of uh, rule that this would be the way to go about things. And this almost feels too, it's too simplistic in the way that detained was simplistic, the uh, the prison one where they break the Suleban out. It's like, it just feels like it's a kind of um, canon connecting the dots that exists just because you have to, ha- in this time period, you kind of need to figure this out. But it's not really important how you figure it out. It's just important that we make this connection here between these two things. And so the episode itself ends up just extremely unsatisfying where a guy Mm. wearing a bathrobe is going to come in and sort of trick Archer into helping him with this war. We're not going to really explain the war. Like you're just going to take both of their, the guy's opinions as to like, we're the right side. No, we're the right side. We Archer never asks about it. We know as much about the guy, the guys that Clancy Brown is fighting as we do about Dean Stockwell from the Suleban episode. Yeah, he's just a guy. He's just a guy in authority who doesn't like the other guys, <laughs> right? And Archer, interestingly, for a starship starship captain, doesn't care about the politics of situations he finds himself in. Right. He's like, "Don't tell me what the problem is here. Just yeah. tell me how to get out of this episode, and then we're going to move on to the next thing." Yeah i I feel like the problem with this episode is it is it doesn't know what it's about. When I think I think what it is about is fairly obvious they just they just don't seem to recognize it or commit to it because let's say let's say you start this episode with um 
Well, what would you say it's about for, I would, I would say that this, if someone were to pitch this, they would say this episode, episode is about dealing with the ramifications of letting the Suleban out last time. That's what, that's what Archer Archer is going to realize that what he did can have downsides in the long term. Yeah. And I, I would expand on that and say what he has done full stop up to this point, uh, has ramifications. And so I think if you if you set it up where you start it with, oh, they've saved Clancy Brown, they fixed Clancy Brown's ship, and then he's like, I want to give you, I want to want you to come to my house for the weekend, we'll throw you this great party or whatever, it'll be great. And Archer, Archer very excitedly is like, that sounds awesome, rises a sh- like five years away, five <laughs> light years away or whatever, yeah. uh, but we can just go down here and hang out with these guys, and then maybe Trip's like, I don't know, Captain. We don't know anything about these people. We could be getting ourselves into something we don't want, want to deal with. And Arch is like, nah, don't worry about it. He seems nice. They're probably just going to feed us a bunch of food and have us, you know, try to get us to sleep with their daughters or something. Yeah. Let's go down, have a good time. We'll come back and then we'll go, we'll head off to Riza. And so he reluctantly goes down. And then when he gets there, turns out the reason that they brought him down is because they want him to lead their civil war. Yeah. And because of the stuff that they've heard about him, which is obviously not what he's there to do. Obviously not what he was intending to do, but he's starting to realize that the stuff that he has done up to this point has ramifications. And it's not just let's go down to this new planet and fuck around for a couple of days under the under the guise of Starfleet uh, mandate of exploration. Yeah. Um, and then when you get that sequence, when they're in the desert, you now have a chance for Archer to reflect on this stuff as well as have Trip there who doesn't didn't want to be here in the first place. And now he's dying. Now he's dying. Yeah. And so you've got that stuff to deal with. And then you know, ultimately, you've got a little bit more meat on the bone here instead of shirtless lacrosse and uh, it's wandering through the but desert. It's funny and then what ultimately you, just making a phone call to bring him home. What you just said, I think, is a description of the plot. You added a bit, which is that Archer and Trip talk about things, but for the most part, that is what I would say happens in this episode. However, it feels mm-hmm. so empty. Like it just doesn't. Right. It just doesn't have scenes that make you sit there because again. I'm sorry. Uh, again, Archer doesn't pick up on. He doesn't. None of this computes with him. Right. By the end of the episode, he's like, bah, I don't know. Seems pretty good to me. Like nothing. Nothing that has happened has made an impression on him. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it negates any theme that they're trying to put across. Well, he is. He is Tanner. He has a better tan. So yeah. He's- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's win-win. Trips alive, and we both look great. <laughs> Archer flies away as the. Uh- these uh, the terrorists in the city are just bombing the shit out of each other, and he's like, "Ah, you know, that wasn't a bad, wasn't a bad weekend there. I got a little bit of color, I look okay." I think that's the that's the strangest thing, and it probably all does come together as Archer is the linchpin of Archer not not seriously having consideration about things. He's done it before in previous episodes. Yeah. He's thought about it, but. I don't know if it's a combination of it, it, it's definitely the writing, and it seems almost like a combination of the performance from Bakula too, which is maybe Scott Bakula is not the appropriate actor for what should be a fairly conflicted character at this point mm. early on. He's he's pretty happy go lucky, and he's pretty positive about things all the time, which is fine if he can also play the other side yeah. of that, where he then has to deal with that, right. And as of yet, he has not done that, really. Right. And you can see that as a season one arc where he starts off as the happy-go-lucky character and then it's slightly like, oh, boy, by the end of his first year in space. Um, yeah, it's just... It's just it's just that, that fact that 
the big problem there is that the uh, the desert walk isn't about anything. It's 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 the and I guess you could say that people always complain or uh, always um, not complain, but people have a very different a, a difference of opinion about things like the broken bow pilot, which is the first half is good and then it has an action plot in the second half. To me, this is what all action plots feel like to me at the end is them walking through the desert. Like there's in an action plot, there is more bombast and there's probably fist fights and gunfights. But to me, on a on a level of enjoying the story, I see very little difference between a bombastic action finale and walking through the desert like these guys are. You know, if, if there's nothing mm-hmm. else going on in it, this is right. a stripped down to its bones. We're not even going to give you any visual excitement to carry this through for the second half of the episode. We're just going to watch these two guys walk along. And that's how Broken Bow felt to me. Um, some people like the action stuff more. I don't think the series ever does action really well, so it doesn't really excite me. And to me, this is almost, this is like Star Trek action. If you're not going to have any sort of uh, interesting discussion or conflict or characterization going on, you just have Trip and Archer walking on the sand and one of them is slightly too hot. And that's the end of it. And that's really, it's really sad and really just kind of a waste, I guess. It's it's clearly a, um, I've been reading that oral history book too, but the season, the first season of this show was just, a rush to get things done. And it's like, you can see that in these, in these episodes where they just want skeletons of stories. They don't have time to think about what this actually means. It's just, we have to, he's going to walk through the desert. Good. 20 minutes of TV time right there. Just get it out and get it done. Mm And maybe that'll Mm -hmm. probably change with the second season, but it's, it's consistently an issue early on here. Yeah. And I, I, it's funny because I think the, I think they get close to talking about the ultimate theme. Um, in that scene with Tapal and Hoshi, mm. but because Hoshi is like, so why did the Vulcans pick Montana to make first contact? And Tapal's like, well, that's that's where the warp core was launched from. Mm. She's like, yeah, but did you ever consider that making aliens making first contact with the United States would put the other countries of the world on edge? And Tapal was like, well, that's where the warp drive was made (laughs) you're not you're not answering the question you're really sidestepping this question that is a pretty good question well to paul's i I think to paul's answer there is broken to paul's answer should have been the vulcans at that point didn't even consider the existence of nation states. you know yeah technically the answer should be Every single other planet in the universe is a monoculture. We know of is a monoculture, <laughs> so we assumed you were all just one giant country. But that would have been if Tapal had said we didn't even consider the existence of nation states and that you guys would have a problem with each other and that this would be a difficult thing. That mirrors how Archer is unable to see how he what he does causes a problem down the line. Mm-hmm. So the Vulcans doing it right. in a more, and you could argue that the Vulcans are doing it from a higher like philosophical level where they're they're like, we're beyond this idea that there are like warring factions on a single planet. We just go make contact with people. And, but it thematically ties in with why that was a mistake. And the Vulcans to this point have always enjoyed telling us that, yeah, now we've had to take care of you for a hundred years. And this is like the downside (laughs) of why you do this stuff. It just, they keep firing these shots at Archer and Archer is just, you know, matrix dodging all the things that he needs to (laughs) consider and stuff like that. And it's just really, it's just too bad for him. It really, it really weakens him as a character. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they had an opportunity to do something pretty interesting with this one, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't. T- I feel like I've said that like 
a handful of times across this first season. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that is a a harbinger of of what is to come in the second se- season. In that, like they do have these interesting concepts floating around. And if it's a time thing, maybe they just didn't have the time to 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 smooth them out. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's just weird how many of these episodes are just ultimately so hollow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I was just, I'm trying to see if it's like, if it, it feels uniquely hollow to me compared to the other Star Trek episodes, like the other Star Trek episodes, even when they spectacularly fail, like I'm talking about other series like DS9 or TNG, I, um, I sort of see the direction that they were trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. And here I also see the direction is like, they think that this is what the point of this one should be, but it's, it's just so it so expertly avoids ever having to talk about that stuff. And you can say in TNG, they occasionally talk too much about what the moral of the episode was. They'd spend the last sure. 10 minutes being like, and this is like you freedom here. And these people shouldn't worship this computer or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. They don't, they don't even do that in Enterprise. Maybe think they they think they're uh, being subtle or something, but no, it's 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 not the case. Yeah, I mean, and you don't you don't have to talk about it. You know, you can still express it through the action of your story, and they're not doing that either. Yeah, um, it's like it's like uh, it's like watching uh, th- it's like thematically watching a stage play where everybody uh, says their lines and then the lead actor just is completely oblivious to what his next line is. Yeah. And everyone's just kind of like, like looking at him. Like, eh, <laughs> come on. And he's just looking around like, what, what? I don't know. I'm here. Isn't that enough? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really strange. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, we'll go to patron <laughs> thoughts. They might give us something to talk about here, but I, well, we'll save it for for final thoughts, I think, because I, I do think that this episode is like remarkably similar to a lot of the previous ones, and it'll probably be uh we'll probably get something stirred up by the comments, I think. So let's take a break. We will play a clip from the episode, then we'll come back, read patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about Desert Crossing. The warp reactor. Break it down for me. What? What are the eight major components? You gotta be kidding me. Name them. That's an order. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show today. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support us. A couple of dollars a month gets you extra stuff. You get extra podcasts. You get extra behind the scenes. You get the to- uh, commentary videos that I've been doing for a few of the episodes. And uh, a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support the show. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special shout out here. Going from oldest to newest, special thank you to Christian Pouch, Tark Latif, Chris Tinsley, Mike Burnett, Cardinal Doomsday, Joint Mango, Ben Douglas, Neil Brennan, Kyle Barrett, Samuel Custer, Matthew Ross, Nathan Elliott, Eric Johnson, Andrew Cherlog, Ben uh, Grimsanto. Matthew Cutler, Tom Hiles, Dwayne Hackett, Sean, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elledge, Kevin Reyes, Vault 13 Hero, Stephen Minton, David Beardmore, Darth Mosk, HH28, Mad Courier 6, Jacob123, Matt Houston, Mike Harris, Nick Sergi, uh, Jake Keys Gamer, Patrick Seba, 
Captain Brazen, Kevin Lowry, Eric's Antoine, Bradley Killens, Corey Martin, Woodrow, and Rune Vendler. Thank you very much, guys, for your support. It means the whole world to us. It's very uh, very helpful, actually, in all these uh, these things that we've got going on here. And now I have to search for Desert Crossing because we'll read some patron comments about this one. There's a few of them. Matt Ross says, Finally, the consequences of stopping for every distress or signal comes to fruition with the Afghanistan episode. And although known for the Top Gun-like lacrosse scene, it's still a story that has deeper issues that are well shown and something that is the basis for the future of Starfleet and the Prime Directive. Archer's realization that he can't help everyone finally seems to be sinking in, as well as how his actions get interpreted. The questions as to whether to interfere raises its head on the ship with Hoshi and T'Pol. The bigger question on, uh, on whether Zobral is good or not good is not... The bigger question on whether Zabral is good is not answered, and it's left to your imagination. Clancy Brown's semi-serious portrayal as Zabral is well done as a tribal leader, and I always laugh about the blood soup with the essence of the male chopped and seasoned. Four sweat stains out of five. See, I think I think he's re- read, envisioning the episode he wanted to see. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't disagree with, with the, the, the core of what he's saying, but I don't think that they do any of that stuff particularly effectively is thematically right yeah it's it's what we were saying i because the episode is all there it's 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 Mm. all there it's just missing something and what's funny is that when i was watching it it actually felt worse because the last 20 minutes are them in the desert and like the the last 20 minutes is totally meaningless to anything it's it's Mm. just there's nothing going on there's a weird factoid that uh, the scene where Archer gets him to the building and it's nighttime and they're talk- talking about their dinner, it's apparently the single longest take without a cut in it there. It's like three mm. and a half minutes. Didn't even notice it. Couldn't have, couldn't have yeah. told you that that didn't happen because it's in such a useless scene for that kind of thing. Because you're, you're literally watching him boil water in real time. <laughs> Why did the water was, taste bad? That was... That, I know that was the other thing I liked is like his solution was to feed scalding hot mystery <laughs> liquid to his friend who's dying. <laughs> I don't think either of these guys uh, paid much attention in uh, desert survival camp or whatever they did in Australia. Yeah, he like see. I assume see, he boiled it with the phaser is what he's talking about, but I don't. Right, know, I don't right, know why it yeah. tastes bad at that point. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I who knows because it's full of cadmium or something that's going to kill trip. Um, like that. That's why that's why I feel like they, they 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 just missed such easy ways in to this theme that is clearly people are picking up on but is not being but is not being expressed really through the episode cuz like the scene where he talks trip into coming down trip's reticence isn't eh maybe we shouldn't get involved with these people it's i got work to do and i don't want to eat snakes yeah <laughs> you know it, 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 there's nothing there's nothing thematically relevant about why trip doesn't want to go down yeah or why when it goes bad you should feel extra bad for, for trip, trip yeah. because you know because he they talk about at the beginning that he has sur- desert survival skills <laughs> so why why would you feel bad for him if he's dying in the desert other than the fact that he didn't pay attention enough they do. They do foreshadow that he's prone to overheating, though. I think. I think they mentioned that that he in his last desert training he similarly got heat stroke or something like that. So he just he just doesn't deal with the sun very well. Yeah, but it's like it's like what you're talking about with the with the the bad improv scene where it's like they don't know they're not cognizant of what the scene is about, what the core of the scene is about. So the stuff that they're saying is just 
you know, small talk. Yeah. Yes. Right. And yeah, in, in, in a series like Star Trek, that small talk, most series, but especially Star Trek, if you're, if those scenes aren't doing something, you just have very limited time. Like if you, mm. if you can take a Star Trek episode and have almost more than half of it not be about anything, that's an astounding, that's almost an, an accomplishment for a Star Trek episode right. in some ways. Like yeah. that hardly ever happens. And so that shows you how flimsy the story is in that mm-hmm. the first 20 minutes carry all the weight and then it just doesn't do anything with it. It's, it's, it is it is interesting. It's a confounding episode. Corey Martin mm. says, proving that it's always a good idea to take a dinner invitation from a strange man with face tattoos. It's one of my favorite episodes in the whole series. Clancy Brown was great in this, and it makes me wish he could have hung around a little bit longer. I like episodes where they dig into Archer and Tripp's past as they always have what I thought was the most dynamic interpersonal relationship. I also like to see the natural leader aspect come out of Archer. As much as I can pick on Archer for being kind of dim, this episode shows he cares for his crew and puts his safety above his own. Three chopped and seasoned essence of male out of five. That's an interesting what? comment because it, it was his favorite ep- one of his favorite episodes, but it's only three by the end of it, which is um, yeah interesting. And how does he how does he put the safety of his crew above his own trip? I think is what he means. I, Rescuing I trip? Guess. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I've disagreed. That's, that's a stretch. That's a stretch for me. I've disagreed <laughs> with both comments so far. Um, yeah, but it's 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 interesting. People like the episode that much Mm. i guess um if i were to say my favorite thing about this one my favorite aspect of it is still kind of built on potential that they don't really accomplish like i i am kind of interested in having trip and archer spend time together because of this idea that they are old friends and i don't really get a sense of what their friendship is about he archer talks to trip the same way he talks to everyone else on the ship so i don't feel that there's a special relationship between the two of them Mm. um I would have liked that. Clancy Brown is great, but Clancy Brown's performance to me is just saving a fairly wretchedly bland character that you'd have to deal with. Right. So it's like him having being over the top and overperforming is fine with me, but I don't think it's good at the same time. Also, he doesn't totally commit to an accent. He's like, he's like they asked him to do an accent and he feels kind of weird about it. <laughs> so he's just kind of like half stepping his way through this accent. I mean, because he, he's kind of going for uh, like... I don't know how to describe it. Like, um, like I don't want to say a like he's kind of going for a Middle Eastern bazaar thing. I assume right. he's like Archer. Yeah. Here you are. You come to my. Yeah. You come to my planet. He's kind of going for that, but I don't think he wants to do the full on. Here's some falafel, like kind of thing. Like he, right. he's kind of holding yeah, he's back not, on it. He's he's like a couple ticks away from John Reese Davies in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> but even still, it like it's it's still a weird choice because it's like come Archer. To my desert society, where we are all extremely white. <laughs> it's true. I, I'm really. This out of more out of how does how do Trip and Archer have better tans than Clancy Brown? <laughs> he's 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 native to that uh, to that land. We need um. <laughs> we we need an explainer about that. What the hell was I going to say about the? Oh, uh, Enterprise is um. I feel like Enterprise is the the one Star Trek series where I I almost desperately wish I could go back and watch this in context of 2002 to see what sure. what I think about this because looking back on it 
it doesn't make any sense to me, really. Mm-hmm. Like this is a th- what I remember from late two thousand one into two thousand two is not reflected in this episode. I don't think. Like, if anything, I would expect a more. Not to spoil anything for you, in season three, they become mm-hmm. aggressively against terrorism in this show, and mm-hmm. that that feels like a strange. That that almost feels like I would I would expect that kind of um, thing here. I would expect more interventionalism from Archer in some ways early on here. Like yeah. if you're if you're going off of this and you're saying like, there's like at at any time in history, the Afghanistan thing just seems to stick out as this is the right time for intervention in some right. way, and it just it doesn't yeah. trickle into the writing. It, it's the opposite, and I find that very strange. Yeah, if. If their stance here is anti-interventionalism and then two seasons later they are very much like Team America World Police, yeah. I honestly don't know what to think. It's strange. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting choice. Latte Librarian says, Desert Crossing is a plotting episode that has interesting things going on but doesn't seem as interested in them as it should be. Is this the lowest budget alien makeup we've ever seen? It looks like a child drew a beard <laughs> with a magic marker. The minutes felt on... On shirtless space lacrosse could have been spent developing the geopolitical situation and learning more about the re- uh, reputation they've apparently developed. In the end, they basically just convinced the brawl that they wouldn't be very good at helping, which took the teeth out of the decision not to help. Three ugly ta- tapestries out of five. <laughs> that actually was a scene I really liked when Reed is talking to Zabral and and Reed's like, I mean, we really only freed 85 people and there was like five guards there. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't really that hard. And I don't even know how to fight in the desert. And Zabral's just like, oh, I, huh. Well, I guess, uh, I guess I'll be going then. (laughs) (laughs) Enterprise, just the continuing to be the series where people just accept what other people tell them. He's, Zabral Zabral is not, all Archer needed to do is just tell him he's not that guy, apparently, and everything would have been okay. But yeah, it's just, there's no. What about, what about all your amazing weapons? Surely we can have some of those. Honestly, we've got like fourteen of them. Yeah, and we we've got one we've got one phaser that has two settings for like every five people on this ship. So we kind of need them. Honestly, it looks like getting hit with your high lie ball does more damage than these phasers that we're carrying yeah. at this point. So, uh, thank you, Latte Librarian. Next comes even that even that's lazy. Where it's just like. What if it's lacrosse, but the ball like glows yeah. like it's a hockey puck on Fox from the 90s? The goal is much smaller. It's very difficult to get a goal yes. in that game that they yes. were playing. Yeah. Eric McGowan says, it seems more low-key than it probably should, but I still like it, lacrosse sequence and all. I appreciated the light continuity with Detained, where Archer's earlier actions have unintended consequences in a completely different scenario. Also, a nice turn from guest actor Clancy Brown. If you want to be a real sci-fi show, you got to create your sport from scratch, like the prisoner, which I can't remember what the hell that thing was called. But yep, the trampoline, where you're like jumping on jumping on trampolines <laughs> over like a, a an open body of water. <laughs> Point extra G says, "Thank goodness we didn't get to Riza. I'd rather hang out in the desert with Clancy Brown, anyways. I do like that the prison break from Detained had some ramifications. Archer's heroics are now legend among the Suliban. This was decent, a decent enough episode with some shaky visual effects thrown in." The Desert Compound graphics haven't aged very well. This is one episode where the music stuck out to me, especially during the sport they were playing at the beginning. The music there seemed very unlike what you typically hear in 90s and 2000s Trek. Why didn't they damage the shuttlecraft? 
that would have that would have fixed a lot for me is if they got to the shuttlecraft to get their guns and they or they went there specifically like oh, let's take our chances and fly out of here yeah. we got it's got to be better than living you know trying not to get blown up in a basement and zubral had uh, like stripped it of parts or something yeah, yeah. and then trip is like we're still fighting in a fucking basement <laughs> um but he uh yeah, like you get there and it's either already been hit by something or they, yeah, they stripped it or they cut the brake lines or something, you know, so, something like that to give them a reason to brave the desert. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, trip at this point, like I'm just thinking, I'm just having like horrible flashbacks to like 2001, 2002 now, but trip is never going to have a long a line along the thing of like he, he grabs his like his uh, uniform and says these colors don't run or something like there's no there's no right. there's no anything that I uh, sort of remember of that is just not being put into. I guess Reed would be that person if you were supposed to have that character. Although it feels like Trip should be him because he is George W. Bush at this at this point. <laughs> Strange. Still- yeah. Well, you know, I it, I think the problem is the characters on this show don't really express. Many points of view. No. Aside from T'Pol. T'Pol's really the only one who has opinions about anything. Yeah. And they all have they all have stuff built into them that should allow for more character based discussions and opinions and actions to happen, but they well, don't. what's what if you were to redraw Trip and Archer, how would you do at this at, at this point? I I, 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 don't, I think that they they should be friends, so they should be somewhat similar to each other. But I think that they need mm-hmm. some sort of fundamental disagreement between each other that provides insight into situations like this. I think that and what you can go if you've got one. I think that Trip just Trip should be the more negative one about going out and doing things like this. And right. I know that they've kind of cast Hoshi maybe is slightly that and Reed is slightly has like they they took that trait and I think that they instead of sticking it to one character they kind of gave everyone that sort of a sensibility Mm. and I don't know if that's really the best way to go forward I in the in the pilot would have switched out that scene where Archer goes and and convinces Hoshi to come on the ship with Trip that's true it's weird he went to go get Hoshi isn't it Hoshi yeah it's really strange yeah it establishes her as a character that seems like she's going to be more prominent she's really not yeah like he he have, would personally seek out his best friend, not right, Hoshi, exactly. who he doesn't know, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And if Trip has whatever reticence about going out into space or whatever, like the you McCoy got, kind of thing got, or whatever. Just that cliche scene of it would work for this series, but Trip is just shirtless and chopping wood on his farm. You yes, know, and Archer yeah. walks up to him and he's like, they're calling us back for one last time. He's like, you know, I'm retired, motherfucker. I need, I need my best friend, Trip. <laughs> I don't do that stuff anymore. John, you know that. Can't do it without you, buddy. Just walks into his <laughs> walks into his house and looks at a picture of his dead girlfriend, and then Archer's just <laughs> behind him, and he's like, "She would have wanted you out there, Trip." Uh, There's nothing left for me here, John. <laughs> just flies off in a shuttle and just photon torpedoes his house, and it's just like, I "Can't go back." <laughs> Stephen Minton says. Desert Crossing. Ah, so Archer does have to deal with the fallout of his decisions and detained. I guess I'll have to take back some of my criticism my voice concerning that episode. This is the first episode that really drives home the point that something like the Prime Directive is necessary, even more so than Dear Doctor did. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, everyone. Yeah. I, I feel like Dear Doctor is the pinnacle example of it, at least in terms of Enterprise. It is, this isn't a Prime Directive issue, though. This is this has nothing to do true. with interfering with a nom warp culture, as far as we know. It's true because they've got a ship, they've got ships. They broke the atmosphere. They they ran into 
the Enterprise independently of of the Enterprise finding them. Yeah, so it's not it's not a prime directive issue if you want to go by the 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 that's true the rule book. It's more of a yeah. I mean, I guess the secondary directive. It's, it's a secondary. It's the prime secondary directive. Yes, although I guess that. I guess that the heart and soul of the Prime Directive is non-interference. Real well, that's a very TNG perspective on what um, the Prime Directive should be. Mm-hmm. I feel like Kirk had a different Prime Directive, so uh, that was much more aligned with the the sixties values. I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I've just been thinking about that. Like I, not to get off on that tangent, but it's interesting to me that. In some ways, I feel like the 60s values of Star Trek have started to age better than the 90s values of like TNG and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, especially with the way that the world finds itself now, I feel like mm-hmm. Kirk is the better captain for today than Picard would be. Um, Kirk is just more. Kirk was willing to interfere, but it always felt like his reason for interfering was that he felt that he was doing a good thing for the planet sort of and it's comical looking mm-hmm. back on tos now and it's because kirk goes in and he's like everyone here is too boring we need more freedom and then he fucks <laughs> up the situation and, and insists that he did the right thing but mm-hmm. like the or at least in enterprises terms kirk it almost feels like you need a kirk character in this situation right like the the kirk character in the early 2000s would in my understanding of that time period would have um that character would have been criticized for what he was doing at that point. You know what I mean? So if yeah. you took Kirk out of the 60s and you put him into 2001, he feels like the Archer character who would go in, make a lot of mistakes, and then learn through this new world order that this is the way things are now going to be in that sense. Sure, and sure, yeah. What's funny about in the past 20 years since 2001, I feel like Kirk's outlook on life is now kind of like a more honorable look outlook on life than than, than a lot of other ways. Just because you're dealing, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're dealing with like Russia and China and the rise of like the far right and the rise of like the illiberal left and everything like that, Kirk actually stands for something. And yeah, it, it's just it, it it's it's funny how fast that's shifted. I guess and maybe maybe Archer should have been more like Kirk in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Um the, the the interesting thing about Star Trek shows across the board is their captains and their ethos tends to be obviously very um, reflective of the time that they're created. And uh, even though TNG is started in 1987 at, at the tail end of, of the Reagan years, right? Was Reagan president yeah, in 87? Yeah, 88. Yeah, 88. Um, it does, TNG does feel very much like a 90s show as far as we're sort of in that period of history where uh, I think they even called it like the, the end, end, of end, history end of history for a while, yeah, right? Yeah. Because it was like, it eh, can't get any better than this. The cold war, it's, cold it's war is over. over. There's no, cold there's no problems. Over. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, and TNG's ethos is very much like we've done it. Now the next step is to get make sure we maintain it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Get yeah, comfortable yeah, and make yeah. sure we maintain it. Um, which so which explains a little bit more of the way that uh Picard acts in that show. Yeah. Um uh I think Cisco's a bit of an outlier because Cisco is a lot more of a uh he's not he's not really a uh he's sort of a reactionary character to the concept of of Picard, I guess. So maybe he was 
you're coming towards the end of it. When did when did um, Deep Space Nine start? Ninety two ish, ninety one, ninety two, probably. Deep Space Nine started in ninety two. Yeah, well, because it would have been season six of TNG, right? So TNG ended in ninety three. So DS Nine ran from like ninety two to ninety nine. I'm sorry, my 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 barometer is way off on this then. Because I was gonna say, I was like, I was gonna say, well, Cisco actually makes sense for like a later '90s kind of captain, but he started in 1992. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say anymore. I mean, he might have developed that way. He, he, he's clearly set up as an anti-Picard early mm-hmm. on, literally because he doesn't like Picard. But he's um, Cisco. Okay, so in that in that case, and we're kind of going off topic here, but I'm kind of curious about this. I feel like Cisco is more we, similar to Kirk than he is Picard in a lot of ways. He's not well, I, he's not as action based as he's more of a sit back and deal with things as they come to me. He's more reactionary, as you're saying. He's not the go out and sort of like kick the ass of people that Kirk is. Mm-hmm. But Cisco, I would describe Cisco as like passionately introverted in some ways. Like he's he's he he reacts to things that come at him. And he's very hostile to things that he disagrees with, but he's not the one going out and sort of adventuring, as they say in the the book in the description. His his concept was he's a builder and not an explorer. He's the person who's bringing mm. factions together, and you can kind of see that. So I I guess he kind of actually makes sense in the in the period which he was created because you've got 1992, you've got uh, the X Files coming out short. F- more or less around that time period so you've got this sort of the shift has i i think it's probably a post george bush shift of uh being more wary of the government yeah um and the the rise of some conspiracy stuff all that stuff wasn't as serious as it is now but i want would you consider then waco and stuff happens like domestic terrorism yeah, was that the going big, on the big threat of the 90s yeah, so maybe Cisco is a very '90s captain. Which, in that case, I guess my question would be: Is Picard then more of an '80s captain? Yes, I, I think so. Picard, yeah. Picard is kind of like, as you're saying, end of Cold War idealism. It's like it's like Picard is created in the moment right after the wall falls, right, and mm-hmm. uh, right when Russia, the Soviet Union, falls apart. And Picard is born of that immediate, like, yes, we've done it. And then Cisco is right. the year after, where you start to be like, oh, there's still problems out there. Um, yeah. So Picard is born of that very small moment there, which is probably why TNG's ethos and Picard come across as the most naive of the captains in a lot of ways, because that that mm. that worldview doesn't really exist in any other time except for right when he was created. Which, that's interesting, because I feel like... <laughs> I feel like oddly enough, then, but the franchise Archer, embraces that. Like the franchise is seen as Picard's worldview. Interestingly, you know, where where would you place? How would you contextualize Janeway in this conversation? Because I she's the one I know the least about, so I don't know exactly where she would fall in this conversation. Because I was going to say, the problem then with with Archer might be that the show started. Unfortunately, I'm going to sound like a sociopath here it started a year too early enterprise started a year too early yeah because enterprise is not really reacting the the setups of these characters are not really of anything because at the time the 19 1999 is probably the most culturally vapid time in american history (laughs) you know uh, yeah 
so it's like he's not there's no politics that he's really standing for or anything and then all of a sudden you have 9-11 happen and then you have to make a decision and it feels like to me that they haven't and which is this is completely understandable because it was kind of a big deal and it took a lot of people a lot of time to figure out but it doesn't seem like they know how the characters they've set up pre 9-11 exist in a post 9-11 world right um so it'll be interesting to see if how they adapt to that stuff but yeah do you have do you have any uh, any feelings on on where Janeway sits as far as this goes I'm least familiar with Janeway Janeway would be Janeway also has sort of three different characterizations across the series of herself. She's probably the most um, confused conceptually of all the captains. Mm-hmm. Um, she would be the, I suppose you would say that her setup would be the peacemaker amongst, mm-hmm. she would be the sort of reactionary to Cisco's 90s version where she's the one that's like we're all in this together i have to be the glue that holds this group together like with the the rise of domestic terrorism and everything else that's going on in the in the 90s so she would be that sort of scientist like unity character i Mm. guess would say i i I don't know enough to really comment on that but i'd be interested what other people would say but she Mm. she feels like the least um directed out of all of them and that's probably a reason why right there but i'd be interested Hmm. what other people would think if they were to uh pick a time period where janeway fits into and write it in the comments below because it's interesting and i think that basically the reason we got onto this is that archer being there a year too early enterprise outside of its production problems at this point is at a point in history it's not clear what to think about this time Mm -hmm. in history so how are we going to write a script about this you know what's kind of ironic though is the time period, the period in which Enterprise is set is actually a good analog for the time period the show was created. Yeah. Because you've it's this end of the 90s where American society is still sitting pretty on top of the world thinking like nothing could ever possibly go wrong or possibly go wrong. Um, and then all of a sudden this major catastrophe happens and everything has to be recontextualized. Yeah. So... Theoretically, they're actually in a pretty good spot to address this. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I, again, it's like it's not like the people who are making Enterprise are uh, watching watching the world events from another planet and just taking notes. And everybody is dealing with this stuff in their own way, and it's not going to immediately turn into oh, let's turn that into a Star Trek episode that works perfectly. Right. Like, so. And. I'm going to give him some leeway as far as that goes. That's the problem. Like, I, 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 I wouldn't expect, like, prescient scripts at this point yeah, where, like, the right. you know, 9-11 is still smoldering rubble at this point. So, like, I don't expect people yeah. to have, like, 20 years hindsight in their scripts. But I, I still don't think that that excuses what the current Enterprise scripts are doing, really. Um, sure. It's, yeah, I mean, you could tell stories with themes that work all the way through without... Right dealing with a, a terrorist attack. A, a, a smart know? showrunner probably would have been like, let's not touch any of this right now. Do other Star Trek stories and let's not really touch mm-hmm. on it. But honestly, what's so shocking is that if you did not tell me the year of this Enterprise season and you showed it to somebody, I don't think that if I was watching this totally divorced of when this took place and when they wrote this, I wouldn't say, oh, this is 2001. 
they're clearly commenting on two th- like this no. desert planet's got to be Afghanistan. It's it's got to be. Mm-hmm. It, it's really not that strong. It's it's, it's funny. I would I would probably say like 1999. Yeah, <laughs> we need some limp biscuit in this bitch. Yeah, I'll finish Stephen uh, Stephen Minton. Give point. Reed something to break. <laughs> Everything you say to me, that might, that actually might be later. Lincoln Park is like the uh, the pinnacle of that, I guess. Uh, it's effective in that way, dear doc. They should do. They should do an episode. They should have dedicated this episode to Rage Against the Machine, because <laughs> talk about talk about someone who did something great and made a huge cultural impact and didn't understand the ramifications of what they were doing mm-hmm. by single handedly creating the worst genre of metal <laughs> and music full stop <laughs> that permeated the rest of the decade. But um, would you say Rage is a bad yeah. band? No, I love Rage. Yeah, Ra- Rage is a good band. They were like the only band yeah. that was able to do it successfully for some reason. Yeah, but the, everybody else who came after them was like, oh, all we have to do is get a heavy guitar and a DJ and we're golden. Yeah. Uh, which is ironic because they didn't have a DJ, but um, yeah, unfortunately the amazing band that they were did not disseminate down into <laughs> equally amazing bands afterward. I guess that's the enterprise analogy. Rage uh, just had something. They were about something and the other bands were the enterprise model of not really being about something. Uh, have you watched, have you seen any of those videos on YouTube of people um, only now discovering killing in the name of and what that song is about and having it blow their minds. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that one specifically, but I can imagine that yes. I've seen, I've seen a few of them where it's like, yeah, you know, who's this uh, killing the name. And then they do that thing where it's like a reaction video Yeah, and they're like listening to the lyrics and be like, is this what I think it's about? <laughs> oh my God, this is unbelievable. You know, it's uh, they're pretty fun. Some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. Um, mm-hmm. What is this? Prime Directive, uh, even more so than Dear Doctor. It's effective in that way. However, it's too bad that they did not manage to insert that point into an interesting story. Episode starts out fairly entertaining, but the titular Desert Crossing is just a mind-numbingly boring survival story that's not very fun to watch. So it's either a high two or a low three. It's too boring for a three. I'll go with the two essences of male out of five. Captain Brazen says the political landscape between the two factions is lightly touched upon with some description. However, similar to the desert, the script is on shifting sands with a bunch of hot words and details thrown in for plot exposition that easily fall to the wayside for Archer and Trip to uphold the namesake of the episode. Again, Archer is held accountable for his actions in freeing the Suleban internment camp by being politely, inconveniently detained by the voice of Mr. Krabs. I mean, chin face tattooed Clancy Brown. Sorry, I mean Zobral. I appreciate seeing Archer face the ramifications of his goodwill nature by ultimately seeing the fruits of his good deeds turn sour, sour before him and the manifestation of Trip slowly dying in front of him. After this adventure, perhaps the idea of a rule of some sort of directive seems like a pretty good idea after all. Although, if I was stuck in the desert slowly dying and my friend tried to keep me alive by playing geography like a middle school father on a road trip, I'd have the good sense to phase pistol myself in the head. A low four easily offended desert terrorist host out of five did he say this episode was filled with hot words or hot bods hot words mm, hot words no. he made a mistake i uh, i uh i would i would love to see a flashback to their australian desert training where their sergeant is like and if any point you find your companion on his deathbed play a geography game with him and that will keep him awake <laughs> i know <laughs> I was always so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really have anything else to add about that geography. It's just it, 
It was almost funny, that scene, where he's like, tell me what you like to eat. Mm-hmm. What's a state that starts with W? It's like, what the hell's going on? What are, what are you guys What are you guys talking about? Just shake the, shake the fuck out of him. Kyle Barrett says, <laughs> desert crossings, consequences. Well, maybe about five minutes of consequences. The episode begins to discuss some genuinely maybe. interesting stuff surrounding Archer's actions and his dumb decisions, but then they just walk around in the desert for the rest of the episode. The Hoshi and T'Pol scene is great, and it's a shame we have to keep cutting back to Arch. But, and it's a shame we have to keep cutting back to Archer and Trip doing nothing interesting. At the at a push, it's a third of a good episode, a third of a boring episode, and a third of a bonkers, sweaty, dilf-bawd bacula playing topless high lacrosse with Clancy Brown doing a preposterous accent while dressed like an old gypsy woman episode. A real mess, to be I honest. Mean, I'm here. I'm here for that last part. <laughs> a real mess, to be honest, but not without some merit. And it seems as if the episode was too short, so they told Bacula to pant in between every word while in the desert to stretch out those scenes. It was interminable. <laughs> Two out of five. Woodrow says, Moore's a brawl laughing at the captain, please. He should be the ship's counselor yelling, come on, you wuss, whenever the captain wants to abandon the mission because the Vulcans are being mean again. Four, I am easily offended out of five. What? Why is everyone giving this episode a four out of five? What's, I don't, I don't understand. What's, what's happening? They've all been in I the think, desert too I long. Think, uh, I think the Clancy Brown effect yeah. goes a long way. <laughs> Benjamin Espinoza says, Archie gets called on his overzealous, self-righteous, bleeding heart antics, and this time it gets him in trouble. He considers helping Zabral for a second before Tripp talks some sense into him. I'm glad he seems to be learning his lesson regarding these first contact situations. T'Pol even suggests that Archer needs to develop a directive for first contact. I guess that's why most nations have ambassadors that make arrangements before meeting. It would help to know the lay of the land before you send in your flagship captain. I really liked the music in this episode and enjoyed it until the actual desert crossing. Much like Shuttlepod 1, fake emergencies are not interesting to me. There are much better ways to have good character moments. Three bowls of blood soup with essence of the male out of five. The only way a pointless emergency is worth anything in a story is if one of the characters dies. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it's just wasting time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, right. Cause like if they're the, the, the reason you have a scene like that is so you can do things with the characters, put tension on the characters and see how they, they react to each other in the situation. Um, if you don't do that, the only other outcome for any of that to be worth it is for one of them to die. Right. <laughs> because it's not like, it's not like the, you're not coming out of that scene you watching watching this show you're not going i i think trip's gonna die in this episode i think they're probably gonna kill him yeah like, you never think that for a second yep. and i mean maybe that's unfair of me because you know whatever can't but die it's, it's yeah it's 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 just a waste of time yeah yeah christian pouch says I would watch Clancy Brown ham it up all day. I like a lot of this episode, but there are clear problems. It tries to set up this dilemma as to whether or not to help Zobral in dealing with Archer's reputation spreading out of control, but we spend no time on that, instead focusing on Tripp's heat stroke and the shirtless space lacrosse. It has interesting ideas, but it never explores them. Archer's ending comments ring hollow because we never felt like his decision was ever in doubt. Still, the blood soup is great. It has great umami. (laughs) And the final comment, I believe, it is. Desert Crossing from Neil Brennan. I really didn't think I'd say this again so soon, but why is this show so horny? I'm not even being funny anymore. I'm serious and horny. Homoerotic Sandy Quidditch aside, I love Clancy Brown. 
but what the fuck is he shooting for here? It's like yes, or Arafat makes a million dollar I, man. Yeah, hey, what? I hate it when I have a I hate it when I have a Sandy Quidditch. <laughs> Two sweaty ball games out of five. Um, yeah, I it's I feel like they've uh, this episode dances into the uh, CW DC comic shows territory where it's like, I mean, Green Arrow does have to train, so we may as well take his shirt off, right? Get more checks. Yeah, more chicks that way if you take your shirt off, guys. No. <laughs> yeah, it's um the like the just yeah, the, the lacrosse thing. We we probably didn't even touch on how weird the lacrosse thing is because I don't know why we wouldn't, but it just maybe it just seems like it's so uh strange that it's not worth mentioning. But like they're not playing in front of anyone. They are they're just having a having a good time. Just man. yeah, they're just having a good time. They're a terrorist I, organization out in the desert. Yeah, playing. I, playing I ball? was expecting. <laughs> I was expecting something a, a little more intense than just lacrosse. From the way that he talked about it, he's yeah. like, "Oh, I don't know if you have the if you're strong enough to play this sport. Many men have have played and died on this planet, and then, <laughs> then it's just like high school lacrosse without shirts. Many on. men have had to ride the pine after three minutes on the high life <laughs> field." <laughs> I I can tell you from experience, you will get winded for a short time. Can someone? I I would I would appreciate it if someone took that scene and recut it with uh, Kenny Loggins' playing with the boys from Top Gun. It has to. If that doesn't exist already, it should. So, yeah, it's it's strange. It has the one sequence where it does the. Um, it really sells the the stuntman earned his money that week. They do like the flip over, like Archer oh, gets yeah. hit or something. He yeah. flips him up into the air and he lands on his back. Yeah, it's yeah. It, yeah. It's I what what's I guess the reason you don't talk about the lacrosse scene because after they have the pointless lacrosse scene, they spend twenty minutes on a pointless desert scene. You know, it's like sure you're, you're not even impressed by the lacrosse. If the lacrosse scene was in a normal episode, you go, "What was the point of that? That was really strange." But it's not even the big waste of time. Anyway, thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about the episode, and thank you for supporting the show. Clay, what are you going to give this one? We had a lot of fours on that. Yeah. We had a couple threes and a couple twos. I'm going with a two, because I, I, I liked about half of it, so I'm going to give it a 2.5. Let's put okay. it that way. I, I think I give it a high two. I, mm. I will respect what they were doing initially. I'll respect the Suleban sure. stuff. Mm-hmm. But to pay it off the way that they did is not acceptable, really. Like, right. it's just not, that's not the way that the episode needed to end. Um, and they're getting to rise the next episode. It's like, you just, you just know that there's, there's nothing there to say. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a strange one. I'm going to give it a two. Um, I think it needs to be held back a little bit for what it was, but it's, a decent attempt, maybe. I don't. I don't even know. I don't. I really don't know what to think about this one. But I'm going to give it a two. You'll give it a two as well. Two point five, but round, round down, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Patreon.com/slash/thepenskyfile if you want to support the show. Otherwise, you can go to thepenskyfile.com/slash/links for all the links, all the social media stuff. I think that's pretty much it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, this week, uh, I assume tomorrow is a new rotten horror picture show we'll be covering david cronenberg's the fly which is a big favorite of mine yeah uh, so i i uh 
It's it's one of the episodes where after we were done, I had to say to Amanda, it that wasn't just an hour of me talking at you, right? Uh, because the ones that I really like, sometimes I I, I can go on for a while. But um, Brundlefly, yeah, and then the following week, following week, we've got another badass, which I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but I'm sure it's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. You guys can look forward to all that. Star Trek will continue. We're almost done with season one of Enterprise, and we'll do a wrap-up video, I think, about Enterprise. I I, I am feeling kind of like, uh, you know when you're working out and, like, going for a, you have to run for, like, a half an hour or something? Mm-hmm. Not that I've ever done that, but just pick an arbitrary number. And after, like, five minutes, you start checking your watch, and then it's like, wow, has it only been five minutes? feels like it's been like 15 minutes and then you check your watch again and it's like oh has it only been seven minutes i really feels like it's been like 20 minutes that's how kind of how i feel about this season where it's like <laughs> this is a lot of episodes we got to be close to the end is this not the last step we got two more two okay more. Yeah. Yeah, all right yeah no it's definitely that it's you've been you've been running for 10 minutes and you look at your watch and a, a minute and 30 seconds have passed and you're like what the what right. the hell is going on how did how did i listen to two songs in the time that it took a minute and 30 seconds to go by um yeah, it has been, it has been long. What more? What and that was, isn't to say that isn't to say that I've been hating it the whole way through. But it's just like I, I, I keep forgetting how long these seasons are. So once we hit like the twenties, I assume like oh okay, so it's probably like twenty two. Yeah. Oh, it's twenty twenty seven or twenty six or whatever. Mm. It's always declining as it goes along. Each season is mm. going to have less and less episodes in it. Um. So this is, I think this is the longest one. Maybe the second one is exactly the same, but they do get shorter after that. And then the fourth one is pretty short uh, compared to the 26 episodes. Um, I guess let's just end this with uh, the thing on the Discord. Uh, Beautiful Day was going to be the opening credits theme oh, to yeah. this potentially. I don't think it works. Uh, I actually think that the song they went with is a better choice in some ways than Beautiful Day. Um Beautiful Day is too bombastic for this. We're talking about U2's Beautiful Day. It was originally going to be the uh, the music that if they could have afforded it would have been Enterprise's opening credits because they wanted a pop song to go along with it. Right. I think we both agreed that Archer's theme should be the the music. Oh, 100%. The ending yes. credits should be yeah. the opening music over it. But yeah, Beautiful Day is too bombastic and too U2. To well, it's also too... It's also too contemporary. When we were talking about a Discord, the example I said was, it's like if the theme song for TNG was Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Yep. You know, it's, you're taking a song from the year the show comes out, more or less, and using that as your theme song for your speculative fiction, science fiction future show. Yep. So you're immediately dating your show, which you ideally shouldn't be doing in a show like this. Yeah. And I, I think that just the energy of the song is wrong. Like as hokey as the the song they went with, it does fit the sort of hokey Star Trek attitude a little bit yeah, in some way yeah. better than Beautiful Day. Beautiful Day is too, um, I don't know if, be- I can't tell if Beautiful Day is too sincere or too contrived. It's one of those two. It's, sure. It's hard, it's, sure. it's hard to tell, but it just doesn't feel like it fits. But you guys can yeah. check out. I mean, every, every time I watch one of these episodes, as soon as the credits come on, my first question is, why didn't they use the song on the on the opening credits? Yes, the the end when the, the end the, credits the closing yeah. when the closing credits come on. The, if that's the first thing I think is like this should why is this not the theme? Yeah, because that feels to me like a modernized orchestral piece. Like it feels like right. a uh, right. semi contemporary orchestration around that. Like in a way that's not the classical like stringy. 
uh, TNG type stuff. It feels a little bit more electronic and sort of modernized and things. But it it fits the it fits the tone. It is using using Beautiful Day would would be a very UPN move though. Yeah, that's that. You know, it's like two steps away from a car commercial at that point. Yeah, it that feels like late nineties UPN. Yeah, the great irony there is like Bono's the biggest Star Trek fan. He would have just given it to him. We just take it, guys. Yeah. They didn't even want to ask. Just thought it would be too much, but he's he's so disappointed. Anyway, that's it. Thank you guys for listening to Desert Crossing. We'll be back with the next one, which is the Riza episode, which is two days and two nights. Is that the next one? Two days and two nights. That sounds ex- sounds expensive. They make it to Riza, and if you check out before noon, they don't charge you for the second in the day. So get out of there, Archie. How many? How many? I'm gonna ask right now, having not seen it. How many uh, jokes about or? comments about to paul in a bikini are in this episode oh that's a good question i haven't seen it forever so i don't remember i don't even know if to does to paul go to she, she must go to the planet right she has to if she doesn't i that's going to be a a spot of contention <laughs> between <laughs> trip and to paul and he's going to make some sort of euphemism about her not getting laid or something we'll get there we're, we're going to arrive to Riza at the same time as these guys do in two days and two nights We'll see you next time.